Well, um, today we are beginning a sermon series, as I mentioned, going through uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, quite a few months ago, uh, I'd already decided to uh, eventually go through the Gospel of John in large part because uh, we'd been in the Old Testament quite a bit uh, the last uh, year or two. Uh, and the most recent New Testament book we were in was 1 Corinthians, which was a rather challenging and kind of a, a real heavy book. Uh, so I wanted us uh, to spend some time just living in and growing in the life and teachings and ministry of Jesus. Uh, a time for us to be immersed in discovering more of who he is, uh, who he said he is, not just what we think he is, but who he said he is, uh, and being refreshed by his words while also still being challenged by them. Uh, and this book of John um, is one of four gospel accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. Uh, so some of you might not know the word gospel means good news. So this is the good news of Jesus, the news that he's brought to the earth uh, from the perspective of John's eyewitness. Uh, and so keep in mind as we go through this, uh, as we start in today, John was an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus. He knew Jesus personally. John was very, very, very close with Jesus, laid his, his head on his chest, they were very close friends. After uh, Jesus was arrested, when he was dying on the cross, Jesus committed his own mother into the hands and care of John. So he entrusted his own mother to John's care. And so Jesus' own mother lived with John after Jesus died. And he's about to tell us a story, his story, what he saw, what he witnessed. Now just imagine if you wrote a biography of a close, close friend who had passed away, or a biography of a spouse who passed away. And others tell you, you can't, you can't write that about them. That's not true. You have to take it back. You have to recant the story. We won't let you tell your story of your good friend or your wife. And, and you're sitting there, you're writing this story, and it's, it is what you've seen. And there's a whole people group that are in control of the government, whatever, and they're saying, you can't put out that published work. You can't say the things about your wife or your good friend that you're saying. You have to take it back because they're lies, and you have to admit that they're lies. This is what happened in John's day. He's writing this account of his close, dear friend that he lived with for three years and then took care of his own mother after Jesus died. And as he and others are going around telling people about this account and life of Jesus and now even writing about it, the authorities that be are saying, you can't do this. You need to say this is false. You need to recant these statements. I'd like to add that John, along with every other disciple, despite that vicious persecution from a tyrannical Roman government, took this account to the grave. They never wavered. They never stepped back and said, well, yeah, maybe I exaggerated a little bit. No, they took this to the grave, even amidst all the political pressure, the community pressure. All the other disciples were executed for their story, for their faith, for their testimony. John was exiled onto a desert island of Patmos because he stuck with his story. So he wasn't executed, but he was exiled and he died alone on Patmos. He lived roughly 65 years or so after Jesus was crucified and never once wavered in his faith or in his story. Now, John explicitly wrote what his hope for uh, his readers is. So uh, you don't have to turn there. This will be on the screen. But um, John chapter 20, verse 30, 
Actually, it might not be in the screen because I don't think I put it in my notes for Brian. <laughs> but John chapter 20, verse 30 uh, says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, this is the very end of John's book, right? And so he's saying at the very end, there's a lot more things that Jesus did while he was alive on this earth, but I didn't write them down. But the ones I have written down, the ones that are in this gospel of John, they're written so that you may, here's why. Here's why he wrote down what he's gonna write down that we're gonna read through over these next months. It's so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, which is a word for Messiah, Savior. That you would believe that he's the Christ. He is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John's purpose in writing this book is so that you would believe in who Jesus is and who he says he is, and that by believing in him, you would have life, eternal life, real life on the inside. John compiled all of this so that it would give us true, actual life, that the eyes of our heart would be opened, the eyes of our understanding would be opened, that we would see him for who he really is, not just what we thought he was as we were growing up or being raised or whatever it is. So my hope and prayer as we jump into this book is that for those of us who already know Jesus, that we would behold him more than ever before. And for those maybe that don't know him or maybe only know about him, that's how I would have described myself growing up. I, I knew about Jesus. I knew some facts about him. You know, like I, I know about my, my favorite baseball player, or my favorite actor. Like I know, I know them, I know about them, but I don't, I don't know them. So some of you who know about Jesus, you know some things, you believe that he existed, you believe he's real, but you don't know him. I hope that as we go into the book of John that you would also truly behold who this man is and you would believe him in a very real way for maybe even the very first time. So uh, let's together explore who Jesus is. I wanna pray and ask the Lord to lead us into his word. Uh, we need his guidance. We don't wanna just approach this book as if it's just a piece of literature. This is God's word. And so we're asking the Lord for his help as we aim to understand it. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, that you gave us your word, that you gave us the truth that it contains so that we wouldn't be left in the dark. We wouldn't be just wondering and kind of making stuff up about who we think you are. But you've given us your very word. And we ask, Holy Spirit, as it says in this very book of John, in chapter 14, that you would lead us and guide us into this truth. On our own, I mean, we're just, we're, we're foolish in thinking that we're gonna just understand God and the mysteries of God. And we just can't do that on our own. We're just, we're just humans, we're finite people. But with your help, you can lead us into this. You can show us who you are. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do this for us today. Lead us to Jesus. And we ask all things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So John chapter one, verse one through five. We're just gonna be going through five verses today. Um, some sections we'll go through quite a bit, but this first section, chapter one, is so filled, so packed with so much, we wanna go through this very carefully. So we're just gonna cover uh, five verses today. So in verse one, it says, in the beginning 
the Word was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the beginning of any written work, whether it's the opening arguments of a trial, or a book, or an email, or even a text message, the opening words are critical in understanding the overall tone and purpose of that written work. You think of some of the best opening lines. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Or we the people of the United States of America, we think of these opening lines. They're so critical, so important for us to understand where we're headed, setting that tone, setting that pace. And these opening verses, which would include even further to verse 18, 1 through 18, are considered the prologue to this Gospel of John, and they really set the tone with an explosion of declaration. And since we know by the end verses that I already read from chapter 20, verse 30, we know that the end verses, the goal is to help us behold and believe who Jesus is and find life in him. We know that's the purpose. Well, we see here in the beginning what it is that John wants to be the foundation of that faith in these opening words. We know he wants us to behold and believe who Christ is. We know that by the end of the book, but now in the beginning he's saying, and hear what it is that I want you to know and believe. This opening significantly even, you probably noticed this already, it mirrors the very first words of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning. So looking again at John verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we are indeed talking about the beginning, like the beginning, the capital B beginning. And we have this kind of curious phrase, the word, which is a little mysterious. We see that in that beginning was the word. And this word was both with God, but also was indeed God himself. So somehow this word is with God, but he also is God. This very word, John tells us, is what created all things. And this very word gives life and gives light. And we notice that though it somehow is with God, but also is God, it's somehow distinct from God, but it's also not an it either. Usually we think of word, you think it's an it. But this word is not an it. It says explicitly here, we see in verse two that this word is a he so in the beginning was he, this, this word, and this word was this he was with God, but also was himself God. And John doesn't make us live in suspense. Rather than getting 15 or 16 or 20 chapters in, he lets us know right away. It's a little further down. We're going to cover this today. Skip down to verse 14. It says in chapter 1, verse 14, and the word, this word, this, this, this he, this word became flesh. This word that was in the beginning with God and was God. This word somehow became flesh, became human. And he dwelt among us. And we, humanity, has seen his glory. Glory as of who? The only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This word of God, this one who was there in the beginning 
the one who created all things, who created life and upholds all things. There is no secret about it. This word became human and this word is Jesus Christ. Jesus was this word of God who was with God and is God from the very beginning who created all things. Jesus, the man, the historical figure that both religious and secular historians overwhelmingly agree actually walked this earth. Now, those Christian and secular uh, historians might disagree on who he is, but there are not many who actually make a case for the idea that he didn't actually even exist. Overwhelmingly, historians say, yeah, he existed. Now, who he was, we might disagree, but he existed. There was a real man who walked this earth. And John tells us that that man somehow was also in the beginning with God and yet also is God. And he, as the word of God became flesh, became that human being, Jesus Christ. Now you've heard of the phrase, possibly the incarnation of Christ. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, and you know that this is kind of one of my favorite things to help us remember what that means is, especially here in Southern California, we love our carne asada burritos. And you think of that word carne, it means meat or flesh, the incarnation. It shares the same root word. And it means to, to become flesh, become meat. God, who was invisible, incarnated himself. He became flesh. Now, this is significant for us because before that moment, God was not flesh. Before that moment, Jesus was not flesh. He was not a human before that moment. And before that moment, he didn't bear the name Jesus of Nazareth. He was simply God, specifically the word of God. But before that, he was invisible God. He was the word of God who created all things. So now we ask ourselves, why is he called the word? Why that? He, he could, if he was gonna pick a nickname, he could have been the hand of God. That's very powerful sounding, very practical, makes a lot of sense. He became the hands of God, the hands and feet of God on the earth. That would make sense. Or the heart of God, which makes a lot of sense too. Maybe even the, the mouth of God, because he's coming and speaking. But instead, he very specifically chose to call himself the word of God. You see, your word, my word, is the exact precise expression of who you are of who I am. Jesus himself said, whatever comes out of your mouth actually comes from your heart. So though he could have called himself the heart of God, but the significant thing about words is that words reveal what the heart is. So he's not just the heart of God. No, he is the, the audible, visual heart of God. You can see it. See, before I open my mouth, whatever's in my heart is a secret only I know. So I could talk about my heart, but my heart would just be my heart for me only. But when I speak, now all of a sudden I'm revealing to you my heart. And you can't know my heart unless you know my words. So whatever comes out of my mouth comes from my heart. So Jesus isn't just simply the heart of God. He's the word of God. He's the heart made known because the mouth of God has opened. And from Going forth from God the Father is the Word, and the Word became flesh so that we can see and hear the heart of God. So for me, if I 
speak lies or deceit or bitterness. I'm, I'm revealing a very real part of who I am. If I speak blessing and love to people, I'm revealing a very real part of me, but my words actually reveal who the real Joby is. And sadly, because I'm a human and I'm sinful, my words reveal two sides of Joby. Because I'm not perfect. And I can't separate my word from who I really actually am. Now, on the contrary, if I lose my arm, or let's say, you know, the hand of God, right? If I lose my hands in an accident, or a leg, or my sight even, you still have Joby. You still can know me if I can express my words. But when I lose the ability to reveal my word, you can't really know what's going on in my mind, in my heart. You just, you see me. You see a little bit of me. You can know a tiny bit about me, but not much. Our words, this is how we get to know each other. Right? We, we go, we have coffee with each other. Right now we're, we're Zooming with each other. We're texting each other. It's how we check in, how we know how we're doing is we use words. Words is how we know each other. Now my words are both from me. My words right now are going forth from my mouth, out of my heart, out of my mouth, and they're going forth. So they're from me. It's something I, uh, I, I have. So my words are with me right now, but they're also intrinsically intertwined with me and can't be separated from me. You can't divide me from my words, even though they're with me, but they also, in some sense, they, they are me. And this is the unique mystery of how Jesus is both separate from the Father, but also is one with the Father. He's with God in the beginning, but he also is God in the beginning. So my words aren't just simply something I possess, they're not just simply something I create. Jesus was not a created being. No, he was in the beginning with God, and he is God. So I can't separate my words from me. They're not something I just simply possess. But my words, what they are, is they put me into the form of words. They put my heart into the form of words. Who Joby is on the inside becomes audible so that you can know me. So my words somehow are also kind of like me, but an audible version of me. They're the revelation and the fullness of Joby. You can know me if I speak and if you listen. And so Jesus very carefully is revealed as the word of God, not just someone who is with God, but also is God. Now I have, I have two boys. They're sitting right there. One of only six people in this room, seven people in this room. They, have, they may have my eyes or my nose, something like that. You know, they have traits that are like me. And these traits come from me. But my boys are not me. They are not the human form of my heart and minds put into the form of human beings. Now they, they come from me, but they are not me. They have some things that are similar to me, but they're not my heart and my inside, my mind, my, my emotions, my feelings, my desires made into human form. That's not what they are. They are their own selves and that's it. They come forth from me, but they are not me. They're not my word in the form of flesh. But if my words were able to become a human being, if somehow my heart, my mind comes out of my mouth and 
in the form of words. And if they could somehow picture like a sci-fi movie, you know, if like I open my mouth, all of a sudden it's like weird kind of nebulous cloud comes out, it starts taking shape and everyone's kind of watching, freaking out, like what's this thing gonna become? You know, if, if that could actually happen, do you, do you know what that would look like? If that took physical form, it, it wouldn't look like my boys, even though they come from me. It wouldn't look like some alien creature or some superhero, which I wish it would, but it wouldn't become some kind of cool superhero. If my words came out of my heart, out of my mouth, and became this cloud, and then all of a sudden, the cloud kind of disappeared, and there was a physical being standing there, you know what my word would look like? It would look like this. It would be me. If my heart, my mind took on the form of words, and if my words turned into a human, it would be exactly what you look at today. My words becoming flesh, my heart, my mind, this is, it would be me. So when the invisible God opened his mouth and went forth his word and his words reveal his heart, his thoughts, his desires, his holiness, his purity, his love, and those words go out from his mouth and take on physical form, you have Jesus. You have Jesus. Hebrews chapter one, verse three says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. My boys are not the exact imprint of my nature. They come forth from me, but they are not the exact imprint of my nature. But when God the Father speaks forth his word and his word takes on the form of flesh, he is the exact imprint of the nature of God Almighty. So Jesus is not just something that flows forth from God, but he also is God, not a created being. So this tells us, at very least, a couple things. You can follow along in your notes. A couple of things I think are important for us to recognize here. Number one is that God chose, God chose to reveal himself to the world. This was his decision. He did not remain invisible as he very well could have. He doesn't want us to be left guessing, wondering who he is, what he's like fumbling around life, trying to figure out who he is and what he wants from us, just kind of making stuff up. Well, I think God is this, I think God is that. No, he, he did not remain invisible. See, we have to understand that the only true God or for a God to be a true God, he must be a God who pursues. Now, what I mean by that is that a, a real God, if, if there's a real God out there, he's not someone or something that can just be found by us. We're, we're finite people. We only live a certain amount of time. We can't just go out and wander the earth and just find God. If we could, then he wouldn't be a very good God. He wouldn't be very powerful. But instead, he actually chooses to reveal himself to us so that we can know him. I mean, let's think logically about this. Let's say we're the two of us, whoever you're, or the four of us, whoever you're watching there at home, Let's say we're out in a desert and uh, I say to you, I want you, I'm gonna give you a month. You can wander anywhere on this earth, starting here in this desert. You can wander for a month and I want you to come back. I want you to tell me about God. And uh, I want you to tell me just what the most basic thing, the most basic thing about God. The very first thing that you usually say to someone when you introduce yourself to someone, I, I want you to come back in a month and I want you to tell me what his name is. What would you do? 
What would, you, would you look under rocks? Would you dig somewhere? Would you look up in the sky? Some people might say, well, I would, I would pray. Well, okay, you can pray, but guess what? God would somehow have to reveal himself and speak. He would have to actually initiate the speaking. For us to just wander around and just find God, God himself would have to reveal himself. So God takes the initiative. We are not as smart as we think we are. We think we find God in all these places, but we have to understand that if he's really God, you can't just go find his name unless he reveals himself to you, unless he chooses out of the goodness of his own heart, out of the mercy of his own heart, to actually reveal himself to you. I've used this example uh, a few times over the years. Uh, when my boys were younger, uh, you know, two and four years old, uh, we'd play hide and seek. Uh, and I, now, I don't mean to be arrogant, but I kind of think that when I was about 27, I was a little bit smarter than a two-year-old and a four-year-old. I, I don't want to brag, but, uh, but I think I was. And if I wanted to, I could have hid anywhere. I could have walked down the street to the park and they would have never found me. I could go up in the crawl space. I could probably even just go in the garage and they wouldn't find me. But that's not what I want out of that game. See, as a dad who loves my boys and wants to interact with my boys, so I make it easy for them to find me. And so what I do is I would go behind a curtain and I would stick my feet out from underneath the curtain. You'd see kind of this, you know, lump coming out from the curtain. And if they still would walk by me a few times, which sometimes they did, then I'd start going, psst, over here. You know, I'd just start whispering to them, whatever. And eventually they would find me. And you know, guess what? At that age, they thought they found me. But what they didn't know is that I actually revealed myself to them. I let them find me. I reveal myself to them because I love them. I don't want them to not know where their father is. So I let them find me. God has done the same thing here. He could have stayed invisible and nameless to us. He could have done that, but instead he chose to speak forth his word and his heart and his mind became a human being so that we can see him and know him and behold him. The exact imprint of God became a man so that we could know him. He wants us to find him. He doesn't want us just wandering around the earth to and fro going, yeah, I just, I think God is this. I think God is that, you know. He doesn't want us to do that. He wants to reveal himself to us. And this is exactly what he has done for us. And without this revelation, this revealing of God in the person of Jesus, well, we can wander the earth and the desert. And we can know a few things about God. Well, I think he's a creator. Someone had to put this here. Uh, I think he's loving because I have the feelings of love. So that probably was from somewhere. You can know a few things about me if I don't open my mouth. You can know I'm you know, male, Caucasian, I'm in my 40s, I have no real fashion sense. You can know a few things about me just by looking at me. But you can't really know me. You're not gonna be my friends. We're not gonna share love with each other. No, it's when words are exchanged. When I actually reveal my heart to you, that's how we get to know each other, to really get to know each other, not just a few things. This is why I said when I was growing up, I knew about God. I knew he was a creator. I knew a few things about him as if he was a celebrity in the, in, on, in the newspaper or something like that. But I didn't, I didn't know him. And this is why John wrote this gospel so that we would know him, not just know a few facts about him, 
Not just some trivia or some Bible stories or a few memorized prayers. No, that we would know the actual God who came to this earth to save us in a substantial way, a personal way. And God's word tells us here that he chose to have his very own word become a man to live among us. Now, do you understand the implications of this? The same God who created the entire universe, that word that is spoken of in John, that was there in the beginning, who created all things, there was nothing made in this existence that wasn't made through that word of God. That same God who created the whole universe, who even created you and breathed life and you into existence, he decided to step down from his glory in heaven so that you could know him. So that you can know his love personally. Not just know about him. Not just know him from a distance. As some big God in the sky, the big man, the boss man, whatever, ready to you know, strike lightning on you when you sin. Not, not that guy. No, not the guy that we've made up in our heads. Not the guy that, that movies have made up for us. Not, not the guy that, that, you know, these kind of uh, religious things have sort of taught us about God. No, to know the actual living God, Jesus, the Savior. He wants you to know him. He wants you to find him. This is incredible news. It's incredible news. Second thing that we should take from this is he calls himself as the ultimate witness of himself. Now, what I mean by that is this. A witness is someone who saw something, who can attest to something. Now, in the court of law, a witness's testimony plays an important role in a jury's verdict, especially if it's a, a good witness, a character witness, uh, a, an eyewitness. Specifically, an eyewitness is critical but even more powerful than even an eyewitness would be written or recorded, recorded words from a certain party in a particular case. If you have a signed document, for instance, or text messages or emails, that's even more powerful than an eyewitness testimony because this is concrete. You've got the guy's signature. Is that your, yes, that is my signature. You've got contracts or recorded conversations. Those things conceal someone's guilt or innocence. Now imagine a trial, you call a, a witness to a stand to talk about who God is. Say, your honor, I, I call Joby McGinty to the stand. I come up and uh, say, Joby, who, who do you think God is and what do you think he desires? And I just answer, well, I, I think uh, he wants us to be good people and if we work hard enough, uh, we can go to heaven. That's what I think. Oh, Joby, that sounds great. Uh, just, so, so what else? What else about God? I say, well, I, I think if he's a loving God, I don't think there's really such thing as hell. I mean, why would a loving God have hell? And I think everyone, pretty much everyone goes to heaven. We all go to a better place. Uh, all religions are basically the same. Uh, we just kind of have different names for different gods. And that's, that's what I think. Oh, that sounds fantastic, Joby. And so uh, by what authority uh, do you have this? What, what basis do you make this? And if I answer, I just, well, you know, Your Honor, I just, I just kind of feel this in my heart. I just kind of think, I just kind of think that's how it is, just based off of what I think. Now, church, that is not an expert witness. That's not the, if you're a lawyer, you're not calling me to the stand if I'm gonna say something like that. 
That does not, you would never base your case off of someone just saying, this is just what I think. Just what I feel. I look around and that's just kind of what I think. That's not an expert witness. No lawyer in his right mind would depend on that kind of a testimony. But God, the judge, the great judge of the whole earth, he sends himself as a witness. He calls himself to the stand. He says, I call myself, my own word, I'm calling in the form of a human so that no mistake would be made. So let's say, for instance, just as another example of testimony, not making mistakes. Let's say you and I make a plan to meet up in the morning and you show up at 6 a.m., I show up at 7 a.m., and you can say all day long, you told me to meet here at 6 a.m. I said, no, 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 look, look at the text message between me and you, it says 7 a.m. Now, that written word right there, my words, you can say all day long what you think I said, but when I show you what I actually said, well, there's no argument. And you can say all day long, well, I just, I just feel in my heart that you said 6 a.m. Well, you can feel or think whatever you want about what I said, but I'm proving to you that I said 7 a.m. The record stands. See, you can have your own ideas. I can have my own ideas and opinions about who God is and what he desires. But the reality is, is that God revealed himself as a witness to come and set the record straight that God walked on this earth and he spoke and he taught and he loved people. And he makes clear all through the word of God who he is. God Almighty chose to reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ, but also in the word of God so that we would make no mistake. And we can sit here and say all day long, well, I just feel that this is really what God is or who he is or what he desires or who Jesus is. But Jesus came and said, no, no, my word stands. I'm the expert witness. And John here, as an eyewitness, is saying, look, I'm writing all this stuff down so that you can believe that he really is who he says he is, not who you think he is, but who he says he is. And if you realize who he says he is and believe that, you will have life. You will have fullness of life. You'll have peace. You'll have joy. You have no reason to doubt because he came as the expert witness. Don't trust your own just shaking. and our own personal just opinion of who God is. See, God himself wants you to know him, to really actually know him, and not that he would stay hidden or distant from you, some distant, far-off God that's unapproachable. Even though your sin did truly actually separate you from him, he came to you, he came to me, he came to us. Jesus, the man who was born in Bethlehem, was raised in the Middle East. He is the man who is God. And John wrote this book so that you would behold this man and believe that he is indeed God. You see, verse three makes it clear that Jesus is God. The angels, the heavens, the earth, all things were made by him, through him. Christ himself was not made. That's the definition of God. If Christ was made, he wouldn't be God. No, he was there in the beginning. 
He wasn't only with God, but he is God. And all things, all things were created through him. Everything. Jesus was not just simply a good teacher or a man of philosophy or a model for living. He is all those things, but that's not all he is. It's not simply who or what he is. No, he is the very word of God. The mind and heart and desires of God made visible and audible. He became flesh. To continue, going back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, there's a, another part of that sentence that I didn't read earlier. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and, and he upholds the universe by what? The word of his power. Jesus upholds the whole universe. He is the one. That's a... That's pretty strong if he's just a good teacher or a model for living. That's a bit more than just being a good teacher or a good example for us. No, he's the exact imprint of God and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint. His power speaks the very words that uphold all things and speaks them into existence. By him, all things exist and all things remain. He's the one who gives us life and gives life to everything as we see in John 1 verse 4. In him was life and the life was the light of men. God came in the person of Jesus to bring you life, real life, eternal life. He came to shine light into your eyes and into your heart to open them in a way so that you can see the revealed God in a way that you've never seen him before. You've never been taught by anyone else before, but only the way that he can actually lead you in that and show himself to you. He came to shine light into your eyes and heart to open them so you can see truly who God is, his nature, his character, so that you'd also see the darkness in which you'd previously lived, the sin that you had committed that maybe you, you downplayed a bit, you ignored, you didn't really realize was a bigger deal than you thought. He shows you that. But he doesn't just show you that to make you feel guilty and let you wallow in that. No, he also simultaneously shows you the grace and mercy of a loving and forgiving judge who was willing, this judge was willing to send his very own son to pay the penalty of your sin. And that judge declares you not guilty because his own son took the penalty. He declared his own son, who was innocent, declared him guilty of what you've done, what I've done. Friends, I hope, that, I hope that you are awaiting anxiously to find out more about who this Jesus is. I hope you want to know him more than you do now. But I'd also implore you even now to not just wait for next week or the week after to find out more and more and more. Don't delay in opening up your heart to him in a way that maybe you never have before. You're hearing these words and, you know, like me, when I was younger, I just described before, as I did earlier today, just, you know, I, I knew about God. I knew some facts, but I just, I didn't, I didn't know him. I didn't know him until I was 18. And it's like I really met him for the first time. It's like reading about a celebrity or your favorite sports hero for so many years, and then you finally not only get to meet them in person, but become friends with them. That's 
kind of what it was like for me growing up, just kind of knowing some Bible stories, some things from Sunday school, you know, going to church, all those things. But it wasn't until 18 when I actually really met him. And since then, the last 23 years, I've been getting to know him more and more and more and more. Don't delay. Today, if it's not already, today should be the day for you to say, I need to know this God. I don't know him in the way that you're describing. I do know some facts about him, but I, I need to know this God. I, need to, I, I believe that he actually chose to reveal himself, but I need him to open my eyes, to open my heart. I need him to, to make me alive, to give me this life and light that he talks about. I would encourage you not to delay. And we're, we're gonna be, keep going into this in the upcoming weeks and months, but don't delay. Go into this with your eyes open, with your heart open. Ask God today. Say, God, you, you came to reveal yourself to us, but God, I, I want you to reveal yourself to me right now. Open my heart, please. I, I wanna knock on the door. Would you open the door for me? Jesus himself says, if you knock, he'll answer and he'll invite you in to dine with him, to feast with him. And so even today, you can even say that. Lord, I'm knocking on your door. I know you came here, but I need you to open my eyes, to open my heart, my ears, so I can really read your word and know for a fact that this is who you say you are. I'm tired of making stuff up my own opinion of who you are, what I think about. I, I, I wanna know for real who you are and I wanna take your word for it, not my own thoughts or feelings. I wanna pray now that um, all of us, whether you, like me, have known Jesus for a couple decades or maybe if you're just, you're not sure. Uh, I was thankful uh, last week after our Easter uh, sermon to hear of a few of you that I hope are even watching today, uh, didn't uh, put on the live chat, the A, B, or C, but, um, but through email, through some other correspondence, um, there's a, a few of you out there that, um, that were in one of those categories. Uh, if you recall, that, that letter A was uh, someone who just doesn't really know where they stand with the Lord. Uh, they don't really know what they believe about God. They believe that there's something out there, but they don't really know. That letter B was um, someone who's maybe called themselves a Christian their whole life, believed in God, believed in Jesus, believed he existed, but maybe you're kind of relating with how I describe it. You kind of knew about him, like, almost like he's a celebrity or someone famous, you know, some facts, some stories. But after maybe today or last week, um, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know that I really know him in this way. I don't think that I'm actually born again on the inside alive and you're kind of curious, you wanna know more, you're trying to figure it out. And then letter C was someone who um, knows for sure, now I, I know I'm not a Christian, there's no doubt about that, but I want to become one today. And so um, if you're one of those, you can, you can type it in the live chat if you like, um, or you can, uh, you can email me um, or, or text someone that you know from our church uh, someone that maybe is the one who invited you, just shoot him a text, say, hey, I think I'm, I might be letter B. I might be letter A. Can we talk about this? I, I have some questions. I just, I wanna encourage all of you guys who are watching 
Uh, all of us, even those who have known the Lord for 20 years, we need to know him more today than we knew him yesterday. Every day I know that I need him more than I needed him yesterday. And so we're in that same boat. Whether you're A, B, or C, or let's say D is I've known him for 20 years, we're in the same exact boat. We all need the truth of God and his witness to show us who he really truly is. So I just would encourage you to really think through that, consider that. And even as we close now, um, we're gonna be, um, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna uh, go into our time of communion. Um, after communion, we're gonna be singing a song just to kind of reflect. I would encourage you during that song to really reflect upon this. Who do I say Jesus is? Who do I believe he really is? Is, it, is he what I think he is or do I believe that he is what it says in his word? And what do I need to do about that? Do I need to change something about what I believe? So let me pray. Thank the Lord for his goodness towards us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you came to us. You did not require us to climb some ladder, to earn something, to beat ourselves down through good works and all kinds of different you know, penance and, and uh, sacrifice and trying to, trying to gain your respect or gain your love or gain your acceptance. No, you saw the state that we were in, separated from you. And you did something about it because you knew that we could not do something about it. And you sent your own son. Your very word came to this earth and became visible so that we can actually know you, so that we can know your heart and your love and your mercy and your grace, that we could know that you sent your own son here to save us, to rescue us. And there is no way to be rescued except for through Jesus Christ. This is the very purpose by which you sent him here is to save us, to raise us from the spiritual grave that we were in and cause us to become born again, your children, sons and daughters of the living God, adopted into your family. We are so amazed at this improbable event that the living God, creator of the universe, would descend and come down and live among sinners and let those sinners mock him turn our back on him, spit in his face, whip him, beat him, crucify him, and then kill him. What an improbable thing that you, God, chose to do that knowing full well what was gonna happen. You actually planned what was gonna happen because that was the only way for us to be saved was through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. That was your plan from the beginning. For our sake and for your glory, we are so amazed. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We worship you. And it's in the mighty and amazing name of the word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ, we pray and ask all these things. Amen.